Hey, I'm going to do something a little out of the ordinary. I just asked Lizzie um, and Alex, I said, hey, I'm putting you on the spot. I hope that's okay, because <laughs> here we go. Um, I asked them if there was a particular um, like theme or idea that God was trying to communicate this week as they were picking out the music, and I'm going to explain why I'm asking here in just a second. Um, with the hearts before God and him uh, no matter what is going on amidst the turmoil the frustration just the like the things of life there were so many times this week I'm like ah this life you know life is just ah. <laughs> and um, but but God through Christ putting things together and and being with us and and putting us back together I feel like a lot of the lyrics kind of went to that yeah. and then just coming before God with an open spirit of, you know, it's your spirit that's working through me. And so like, do that. Like we need, like kind of like a begging of like, we need you. You know, I feel like daily I make um, some mistake or some decision that's, I'm like, "Ah." but then when I'm trusting in God and letting him hold the pieces and put them where they need to be, um, you know, I don't know. So that was all kind of like, you know, where, that's great. Where it was at. Yeah, and we're going to, and I asked that, I don't, I've never done that before, but I just, this morning during worship, it, the, the music was so on point with what, the message that God has for us, and it's a continuation of what Carrie was talking about last week, so thank you for sharing that, Lizzie, and I appreciate you and Alex so much and your leadership for our body. Um, today we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 7, we're going to read verses 18 through 35, so we're going to cover a little more ground than we typically do, um, but that's what God's got for us this week. I, I hope that you guys had a great week. I know that... Um, for, for my family, it was a little bit like what Lizzie was describing. Actually, the last couple of weeks have been pretty chaotic for us. Um, and it's all been good stuff. It's all been things that, that I think God has, has told us to do, and that's why we're moving forward with it. But it's just been a lot, you know. Um, last week, Carrie preached, and, and if you weren't here, please, please, I'm asking you, go listen to that message. It's on, on Podbean or Spotify or Apple Music, wherever you consume those kinds of things. But um, it was incredibly good. I, 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 I'm telling you, every time Carrie gets up here, um, he just does better and better. He blew me away last week. There are several things that God said through Carrie that um, I felt like just needed repeating. Um, and I, I think that we all need to process these things. And we're going to see them uh, repeated in our passage today. I love how God kind of puts these themes together. But uh, the first one is that Jesus does the unexpected. The second is that God uses the history of the people to reveal himself to those people. And then thirdly, that sin is not wrongdoing, it's wrong being. I'd never heard it said that way before, but I loved it. But he was pointing out that sin is our claim on our own lives. And I'll unpack that a little bit more as we, as we move in. Um, and, and if you, if, yeah, you can see up there. So Carrie, number one, one of its points last week was Jesus does the unexpected. I wrote my outline and, and title for this message a month and a half ago, and I titled this one unexpected Messiah. So God's got some things he's going to, he's going to say today. And I love that he's doing that. We, we see often as we read God's word, he repeats these same ideas and these themes so that the point is so that we can see it, right? Our brains are kind of trained from a young age to see patterns. That's, that's how they work. And so as we study God's word, as we walk through it, we begin to see 
the, the character, the person of, of God much, much clearer. So today we're going to cover a pretty large section, so let's just get right into that. Join me. We're going to read Luke chapter 7, verses uh, 18 through 35. I, I always like reading it in one big chunk, and then I'll go break it out, because I want us to kind of see the context, and, and I want to remind us, too, that this this passage, it's, if, you're, if you're in your paper Bible, or it may say it in your digital Bible, that titles this section in praise of John the Baptist. And that's an important phrase. That's how mine phrases it anyway. But this is on the heels of what I preached on two weeks ago about the centurion's faith and the healing of his servant. And then what Carrie preached on last week about a widow's son being raised to life. So on the heels of what Jesus is about to say about this interaction he's about to have, um, what his disciples just experienced, what the crowds just experienced was the healing of the centurion servant and then the, the, a widow's son being raised to life. Like, man, that's huge. Okay, so on the heels of that, let's pick up in verse 18. It says, then John's disciples, and this is John the Baptist, John's disciples told him about all these things. Okay, so John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord asking, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we send or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. After John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one who I am writing. Excuse me. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people, when they... And when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. To then what should I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? This is Jesus talking. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played a flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. There's a lot in there. If you're paying attention, even the smallest amount, especially in the beginning, um, there should be a question in your mind. Not like a small, quiet question, but one that sounds like, a car alarm going off or a fire alarm in your building, a, a question that, that pounds itself to the front of your brain and begs, why? We read a lot, so let's go back and look at verses 19 and 18 again, and let's see if you ask the question why. It said, then John's disciples told him about all of these things, 
So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord asking, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? John, John the Baptist is sending some of his disciples to ask Jesus if Jesus is, quote, the one to come or if they should wait for somebody else. He's asking what you're probably thinking he's asking. He's asking a very important question. Look at Psalm 40 verse 7. When he says, are you the one? Psalm 40, verse 7 says, Then I said, see, I have come in the scroll it is written about me. John is asking Jesus if he is the Messiah. Or if they should expect someone else to come. The alarm in your head that's going off saying why, is why would John be asking this? John the Baptist. Do you remember who John the Baptist is? What did John the Baptist do? What did he do? He baptized who? Jesus, right? Luke is not as explicit in his gospel about Jesus. Thank you, Cora. Come on. And John the Baptist, y'all need to take a note from her. That's how we do this, all right? John the Baptist's experiences at the river is not as explicit in Luke's gospel as it is in Matthew. So let's look at Matthew real quick for four verses. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you and yet you come to me. And Jesus answered, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John is allowed to be baptized. Then John allowed him to be baptized. And when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And you have to ask the question. If John was there for this, why is he asking Jesus if he is the Messiah? Why? John is confused. He baptized Jesus. The Holy Spirit audibly said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And John witnesses all of this. And you would have to imagine that if you're there for this moment, for this miracle that you'd never question that again. That that would be burned in your mind that this is the one who is to come. But now, John's in prison. John is confused. And he needs to know again, he needs reassurance that Jesus is the one. And the question that we have to ask for that is why? He's asking himself, did I see what I thought I saw? Did I feel what I thought I felt? Did I experience what I think I experienced? Or was it, just, was it just in my mind? Church, I think it had less to do with what John had previously experienced in the Jordan and more with his current circumstances that caused him to ask this question. John was in prison and he knew the prophecies about the Messiah. John is a prophet. His father, Zechariah, was a priest in the temple. He knew this stuff. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. To do what? To bring good to news to the poor. He sent me to heal the broken parted, uh, hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners. So John is in prison asking, is he the one? Why was John still in prison 
if the prophecies say that he's come to set the prisoners free? I think that's a perfectly legitimate question with no clear answer. This idea points us back to what Carrie talked about last week, that there are times when God doesn't do what we expect him to do. Interestingly, I told you what this while ago, I wrote my outline for this passage a month and a half ago. And my first point is very similar to one of Carrie's. Is Jesus is different than we expect. Many of us have faced these kinds of questions or wonderings that John has had. We've had moments in our past where God clearly does something that is incredible. Right? And we talk about leaning on those past experiences. That that's how our faith is built. That we see God do something amazing in our lives. It informs us about his character. That builds up our faith so that when we face the next challenge, we can think back and say, okay, this is huge, but God did this big thing. So I know because of this that he can handle this. But Jesus was not doing the things that John expected him to do. One of the commentaries I read this week had the following idea. It said, John the Baptist was in prison, and evidently he was expecting Jesus to do something spectacular. And when nothing seemed to happen, he sent men to Jesus to find out why and possibly to provoke some kind of action. And I think that's a perfectly legitimate thing for us to think. We think those kinds of things. When we face these big scenarios over here and we know that this happens, how do we deal with this thing that we expected Jesus to work in a certain way and then he doesn't do it? Because our faith has told us that he is more than capable. Our past experiences have told us that he's more than capable. And yet here we are in a dilemma in some life-altering crisis and Jesus doesn't seem to be acting. I love Carrie's point last week about referencing C.S. Lewis's work and that Jesus is not a tame lion. You know, I was thinking about it this week. There's probably only a few people in the world who can read the body language of a lion. But they don't know for 100% whether or not that lion is attacking or if he's just playing. Y'all ever seen people, videos of people that, that have tamed lions? And I don't know about you, but when the lion, like, you have cats, right? And you know how cats play. Lions are giant cats. And when the cat goes to swat... And, you, you know, it, it's just a little house cat. When a lion does the same thing, they're always, in my mind, there would always be a question. It's like, wait, is this for real or are we playing? Right? In the same way that we don't know what that lion is thinking, whether he's playing or, or attacking, we don't always know what God is thinking and doing. We know what we want him to do, but that doesn't always mean that he's going to do that thing that we want. We have our own expectations of who Jesus is or what he'll do, but sometimes Jesus does something different. And I'll be honest, I don't think we know what to do with that yet. We're still trying to figure that out. John is in the midst of trying to figure that out. We wonder if we have misheard or if our experiences have somehow betrayed or misinformed us about Jesus. And the only thing that we can do in those times is to continue trusting Jesus or to do what John did, which was to just ask a question. That kind of questioning isn't new to us. It's been born into us through our inherited sin nature. And the enemy's game plan has always been to make us question 
God. If you've read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, you know that doubt is one of the enemy's most favorite tools, is to just plant a small seed of doubt. But don't be discouraged yet, okay? We've got a long way to go in this passage. I don't want you to check out right now going, Will said it's okay to ask questions, but now he's saying it's sinful to ask questions. Don't check out on me here. Hang with me, okay? Look at how Jesus responded to John's questioning and doubt. Because if we stop right there, here's what the enemy's going to do. He's going to take that seed of doubt and go, oh my gosh, I question God. I am a sinner. God is unhappy with me. And that is not the gospel. Look at how Jesus responds to John. It says, at that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases. I'm at, at verse 21. Healed people of many diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits. And he granted sight to many blind people. And he replied to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Church, in response to John's doubt, Jesus points to his activity for the proof that John needed. He did not chastise John. He didn't speak negatively of him. He points out that people are healed, they're raised from the dead, sight was restored, the lame walk, the deaf hear, and people are told the good news. Luke has already testified about many of those activities in his gospel, and we're going to continue to read more about that. But Jesus' works speak for themselves. This was obviously sufficient for all people because we have passages like 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. John says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed. We've seen it. And we testify and we declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and what we have heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be made complete. Knowing Jesus happens as we experience his activity in our lives. I have beat that horse to death, right? Is everybody clear on that? That's how we experience Jesus. It's through his activity in our lives. But as we're experiencing those things, he's also being made known to other people. I want to share a story, short story from this week. And I, I want to preface this like I did the one last week. I don't share these stories so that you think Will's the hero. I'm sharing the story because I want you to see God's activity in my life as I'm abiding in him. Last week, I went to a conference in Denver with people that I've never met before. First day of class, there's a couple of guys that um, just kind of, we naturally migrated towards one another. We had some breakout sessions. Uh, in one of those breakout sessions, uh, it's a conference for drones. And so they asked, what has been your biggest challenge in this field? And I was like, I didn't go to school for this. Uh, so I'm figuring out it as I go on the fly. See what I did there? And so, uh, and, and so one of the guys says, well, what did you go to school for? And I said, I, I majored in religion and religious education. And the table went, huh. And that was the end of that, okay? So we moved on with the conversation. Later that night, they had a, a little event afterwards where everybody just came hang out and mingle and were playing pool. And so uh, this guy, Joby, comes over and he goes, uh, and there's another young guy, Connor, who's with us. And, and Joby says, uh, religion and religious education, huh? And I said, yeah. He said, 
So what have you done with that? I said, well, actually, I've been doing youth ministry since 2001, a little over 20 years, and, and now I've been pastoring a church for about four years. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, youth ministry. You ever heard of group publishing? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Use their stuff a lot. And he's like, I worked for a group for a little over 10 years leading mission trips, both nationally and internationally. I was like, really? It's like, yeah. And so we just, we start talking. We're having some great conversation. And this guy, Connor, is there kind of listening. And, and Joby and I are playing a game of pool, and, and he smoked me. Uh, actually, no, he didn't smoke me on that one. I scratched on the eight ball. It's a terrible game. Uh, so mad. Uh, and so then Connor had ups. And so Connor and I start playing, and Connor smoked me. Big time. And, but Connor and I, now Joby has left. He's like, man, I've had enough for the day. I'm going to go to the hotel. I'm like, all right, man, we'll see you later. And so Connor and I are there by ourselves and we're talking. And he grew up in a Mennonite uh, family. His grandfather was a Mennonite. If you don't, that's kind of like Amish, if you're unfamiliar with, the, with that um, particular denomination. And so Connor and I are talking and we're just, guys, we're just shooting pool, just hanging out. Nothing earth shattering, no earth shattering conversation. And, and the night ended and we went our separate ways. Two days later at the end of the conference, we're at the, the closing, like they called it a barbecue. Uh, it was not a barbecue. Um, and, and I'm getting ready to go, honestly. And, and I see Connor across the room and he is coming straight at me, making eye contact with me. And he's like, hey, are you about to go? And I was like, yeah. And he said, yeah, me too. I'm going to meet some other people for dinner. He's like, look, man, I wanted to, I just wanted to come get your contact info. And I was like, yeah, I got a business card. And he said, um, he said, there's something different about you. He said, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. But you're just, it's the way you interact with people and the way you talk to them and the way you look at them and the way you interact with them. And, and I was like, man, I, I'm going to be honest with you, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. And he's like, well, I know, I know, I get that. He's like, but, but you're letting it happen. It's like, yeah. And church, I, I share that story because I wasn't doing anything. I was shooting pool. Y'all, I failed my first semester of college because I was shooting pool. Okay? But God redeems our, our, our bad activities is what I'm trying to say. But, but I'm just hanging out. I'm just being me. I'm not, I didn't go to Denver like, all right, I'm going to convert some people and they're going to believe in Jesus. I went to Denver to learn about drones and in the process of that, I got to meet some cool people. And I was just being me, being a knucklehead, playing some pool and hanging out with some guys. And the result of that activity was somebody experiencing the Holy Spirit. My, my second point for today is that Jesus is what he does. The reason that this guy, and I believe Joby connected me the same way. He actually invited me to go watch his high schooler play football that night at the end of the thing. He lived an hour away. I was like, I appreciate it, but it's too much. But, but I, the reason that happens is because people are drawn to God's activity. And while I'm not out there, you know, doing anything outrageous, I'm just being me. God's working in my life and people are seeing that and they're drawn to that. In our story, in the scripture, God has been communicating through the leaders and through the prophets since the beginning of time. Like since the beginning of creation, God has been communicating through his people to his people. And throughout history, God's people rebelled, they ignored, or they misunderstood who God was and what he wanted for his people. And this is why Jesus came. He came to reveal to the world the kind of relationship that God wants. Jesus came to reveal to the world how God feels about them. He came to reveal to the world how much God loves them. And all of these things that Jesus did and said why he was here on earth were for that purpose. He reveals who he is and his authority as the Son of God by the works of his hands. 
Jesus came to write the incorrect understanding that literally all people had about who God was and who he is. No one clearly understood God, not even John the Baptist. The works that Jesus was doing were fulfilling the prophecies that, he had, come, that had come before him, like Isaiah 35, 5-6, where Isaiah prophesies, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame will leap like deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Does that not sound familiar to what we've been hearing Jesus doing already? Jesus is proving to John and to humanity that he is the Messiah. And he's not proving it by just his words, but by his actions. When we read verse 18 and 21, that word was spreading about what Jesus was doing. And John knew about it. Look at verses 18 and 21 again. It says, Then John's disciples told him about all these things. Verse 21, At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. John was aware of Jesus' activity. I want us to see that very clearly. John knew what was going on. But here's the kicker. Because the thing that John wanted wasn't happening he began to question God. I know that we can all identify with that in some way. But there's been times in our lives where something difficult is happening and God's not responding to our prayers the way we want and we question whether He's even involved. Right? The beauty is that even if we doubt or simply misunderstand what God is doing, it doesn't affect our relationship with God. Even though we don't always recognize what Jesus is doing, it doesn't delegitimize us as his sons and daughters of God. This is point number three, that our lack of understanding doesn't change God's love for us. Look with me at how Jesus responds to John's question. This is so important, church, for us to understand because it is going to revolutionize our faith. And I don't say the, that's not, I'm not saying that to be like, ooh, we'll use the fancy word, okay? I'm saying this because if we truly understand this, it will change our lives. We will begin to see God in a way that we have never seen him before. John is doubting Jesus. He's wondering if he's actually the Messiah. Publicly, I might add. He, sit, he's, he voiced that doubt to two other dudes and said, go ask Jesus this. Tell me what he says and come back and report. He has to do it that way because he's in prison. But he didn't like write him a letter and be like, don't open this. Deliver it to Jesus and deliver it back to me. It wasn't one of those. He asked a question. Look at verse 24 through 28. It says, after John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. Okay, pause. You're doubting Jesus and Jesus begins to speak about you. Are you nervous? You don't need to be. Look at what he says. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? No. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are not in the wild places. They're in royal palaces. So no, it's not what you went to see. What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. Remember, John, John just sent word because he's doubting. But who did, who did Jesus, what did he just say about it? What did he call him? A prophet. What is a prophet supposed to do? He's supposed to know God and report to the people what God is saying. Okay? John, John's doubting. What does Jesus call him? A prophet. What, 
What's John doing? He's doubting. Y'all with me? Are y'all awake? Okay, this is a big deal. But what is God calling? Does Jesus say, the doubter John? He says, the prophet. The one who knows me. This is the one whom it is written, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare the way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no greater than John. John's asking a doubtful question. And Jesus says, there's no one greater than John. But even John is the least of those in the kingdom of God. Church, culture has told us that when we doubt that Jesus is unhappy with us. Scripture says that when we doubt, Jesus says we are great. He loves us. Our doubt does not diminish our standing in the kingdom. That is huge. I think it's fair for all of us to say that we've had times in our lives when we doubted what God was up to. We've asked questions like, God, do you even see me? The enemy tries to turn that doubt into shame and feelings of guilt. That's what he's always done. But notice how Jesus responds to John's doubt. He doesn't speak negatively about John in any way. He proclaims John's greatness. And Jesus responds to our doubt by reminding us of our status as children of God. Jesus says that John is the prophet that God would send to prepare the way for him. Jesus reminds them that people journeyed into the desert to go and see John because they knew by his message that he was a prophet. Then Jesus goes on to say that John is not just a prophet, but the greatest man that has ever lived. Church, in any loving relationship, in any loving relationship, the goal is for people to be involved in that relationship because of love, not duty. Amen? Right? Jesus' actions are always motivated by love. And John even says that Jesus is love in his gospel. Because Jesus is love, his desire is to respond with love. But, but here's the thing. All of us get to decide how we want to respond to Jesus. Luke tells us there's two different responses that Jesus has given. This is verse 31 through 35. He says, To whom then should I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. Let me pause right there. I want to I break this out just a little bit. Verse 31 and 32, Jesus is saying that the people are like the children in the marketplace calling to each other. God's people are saying, God, we did all of these things. Look, look, we played the flute for you. We danced. We did church real good. I went to life group every week. But you didn't, you didn't weep. You didn't, you didn't respond. In verse 33, it says, For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon for the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then verse 35, he says, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But I want to, again, remind us of Carrie's message from last week that sin is not wrongdoing, it's wrong being. 
Sin is our claim on our own lives. Point for number four today is because of sin, man rejects the word of God, whether it's from a prophet or the Messiah. In this last section, Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy of mankind. That we are never satisfied. John acted one way and they called him a demon. Jesus acted in the opposite and they called him a drunkard. You've undoubtedly heard people say the phrase, you can't please everyone, right? Everybody's heard that? And Jesus is making that point. It didn't matter that God sent the greatest prophet in the history of the world or the Son of God. The people found something wrong with both of them. One, Jesus called the most righteous man that's ever lived, the greatest man ever been born. And the other was perfect in all things, the Son of God. And the people found fault in both of them. Jesus calls out this hypocrisy in the religious leaders, but church, he's calling it out in our lives too. Mark records Jesus pointing out to the religious leaders that they were breaking God's laws in order to enforce their own. Mark chapter 7 verse 9, he he said also to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's commands in order to set up your tradition. Church, if, if our lives focus on what we want, we're doing the same thing. This is what Carrie was talking about last week. If we are sinning, or we are sinning by claiming the right to our own lives to say, God, I know you said this, but I want to do this. But I want to point out to us that those of us that call ourselves followers of Christ, we willingly gave up that right to ourselves. Right? When we prayed and asked Jesus to be the Lord of our life, do you know what a Lord is? It's the person in charge. You're submitting yourself to his leadership and saying, I need you in my life. From this moment on, you are in control. Years ago, we were baptizing somebody, a kid, and I think it was one of the Charbonneau kids, but they explained it in this way, and I love the imagery for a child, is that you're asking Jesus to be the boss of your life, right? We willingly gave up that right. We said that we were doing it out of love, but then we proved the opposite by taking it back When Jesus doesn't do what we want Him to do. I read a quote from a guy named uh, Delaney McIntosh. Um, I've got his website up there. But he said, expectations versus expectancy seem synonymous but are emotionally different. They both deal with anticipated behaviors, but the former expectations... We impose on people we care about, whereas the latter, expectancy, we accept. Expectation is what is causing John the Baptist to be confused and to question if Jesus is the Maya. It brought doubt for John, and it also brings doubt for us. We have to learn to live with expectancy that God is going to do something without expectation of what that something might be. I'm going to say that again. We have to live with the expectancy that God is going to do something without the expectation of what that something might be. We are not to impose our desired actions on the creator of all things as if we know better than him. Because that's what we're doing. When we're dealing with something in our lives and we're praying about it and we're saying, God, I need you to do this. Now, is it wrong to ask God for what you want? 
Absolutely not. But if you, in doing that, put blinders up where that is all you can ever see, then we've stepped into the territory of sin because we're trying to impose our will upon God. The reality that the people at the time of Luke's writing and the people of today must face is that Jesus is not what we expect him to be. And this is a good thing. Because in our wildest, most incredible dreams, we could never dream up or imagine the goodness that is God. I'm, I'm thankful that I can't imagine how good God is. Remember that, that song? Y'all might have heard it. I could only imagine. All right, y'all heard that one? Okay. God is working in our lives, whether we see it or not. No matter how things look right now, we must remember that the God we chose to listen to is the creator. He's the miracle worker. He's the son of God. He's the risen savior. And we have witnessed in this body, in this group of believers, miracles. One day we need to sit down and write down what those miracles are. But we have seen God do incredible things. We testify to it every Sunday morning. Church, I want us to, want us to see this, that Jesus ends this message with a promise. Verse 35. But wisdom, I'm going to read it in NLT because I like the wording a little better. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. Wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. If we listen to Jesus, which is wisdom, in the end, regardless of what people say about us or do to us, we will be shown as righteous because of our obedience, because we did what God told us to do. This word for wisdom in the Greek is Sophia. And it's the same word used to describe Solomon's wisdom. And where did Solomon get his wisdom? How did he get it? Anybody remember? From God. He asked God. He said, give me wisdom to rule over your people. And God gave it to him. In nearly every instance that this word is used in the New Testament, like 50 out of 58 times, it's used to describe wisdom that comes directly from God. If we think about wisdom in our modern terms, it's composed of insight, proper judgment, and knowledge. Okay? Because of our previous experience with God, that thing I've been pointing to over here all day, because of that, which would be insight, we know He is working for our best, which is knowledge, because we know Him, and then we choose to follow His guidance, which is proper judgment. That sounds a lot like the abiding cycle, doesn't it? If we want to walk through this life with wisdom, if we want to live with expectancy, Instead of expectation. The only way that I do that, the only way we do that is by abiding in Jesus. By committing ourselves every day, no matter what our current situations look like. To just say to God, Lord, you know where I am. You know what I want. But show me what you want. If the two of those line up, amazing. If they don't, that's fine. I just want to follow you. It's when we, when we take our own desire out of the equation. Again, it's okay to ask God for what you want. But it's not okay to demand it. There's a difference. But when we take our demands out of the equation and, and our only desire is to see God do what only God can do, that's when everything opens up. Doesn't mean that the time frame is going to get shorter. 
doesn't mean the walk's going to get easier, but it does mean that we are allowing God to do what he wants to do in our lives. Church, we can live in peace knowing that no matter how things look, if you live wisely by listening to Jesus, your choices will be right. And one day, the world will see that. I can't say when that'll be, but Jesus promises in verse 35 that that will be true. We'll read it again. Wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. We can count on our lives looking differently when we follow an unexpected Messiah. The world has an idea of who Jesus is. And it's only by studying his word, by walking in obedience, that we get to really get a glimpse of who he is. That we can step outside of the cultural norms and encounter a man that even John the Baptist misunderstood. The greatest man to ever live. Holy Spirit lives in us. He didn't live in John. We got the advantage. As you're struggling through things, as you're thinking about your life and the difficulties that embrace it, remember that God can do anything. Our lives are going to look different from everybody else's and that is intentional. God is not going to respond the way we think you will. But God will always reveal himself to you and through you. And we can count on that because God promises in his word. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so encouraged by this message, by the fact that you call John the greatest man to ever live, and yet John struggled with the same things that we struggle with. Father, right in this moment, I want to lift up everybody in this room, anybody that's struggling with something difficult, if there's a seed of doubt in their mind. Father, I ask that as we close in worship today, that we could pour all of that out to you, that we could be honest about how we feel, honest where we are with you. And Father, embrace the peace that you offer the peace in knowing that if we walk in obedience to you you will show us to be wise you will show us to be righteous not of our own accord but because of you and father that through that we're going to get to know you in a greater way and the world around us is going to get to experience you as we're walking through life just being ourselves and being yours father i ask for that for myself and i ask it for my brothers and sisters in christ God, that this week, as we're dealing with people at work or, or stressful situations in life or kids or whatever it might be, God, that your spirit would speak into that and that we would take off the blinders of our own desires and be watching with expectancy to see how you're going to move. Jesus, I ask all this in your name. Amen.